motivating people would be the most important responsibility of my career. When I became a head coach at Boston University, I was just 24 years old. I was stepping into a program that hadn't had a winning season in years. I knew that if I didn't find a way to get the players to play appreciably better in a very short time, my dream of coaching was going to end in a small college gym somewhere. I immediately began reading about coaching legends like Vince Lombardi and John Wooden, looking for clues to what had made them connect with their players, looking for anything I could emulate and use as my own. What I found had nothing to do with strategy, but rather with how these great coaches motivated players to achieve victory. Very early on, I learned that I was simply unleashing the potential in the people I was coaching. I was motivating them not by intimidation, but by showing them that it was their choice to win or lose by giving them an outside perspective on who they were and how they presented themselves to the rest of the team and everyone who watched them. I helped the players realize their strengths and weaknesses so they could figure out how they were going to improve. I have no illusions about myself as a basketball coach. I wouldn't dare say that I know more basketball than other coaches or that I have better strategy. I know that many other coaches work as hard as I do, put in as many long hours, are just as dedicated. I learned long ago that coaches can be successful using many different philosophies and that there is no surefire method to success. I have been successful as a coach because I've been able to get people to do things they didn't think they were capable of. An example, when I became the coach at Providence College in the spring of 1985, I was inheriting a program that had been languishing near the bottom of the very competitive Big East Conference. Ever since the conference began in 1978, I had been an assistant coach at the New York Knicks at the time and there were people who warned me that the Providence job was a graveyard for coaches. In one of my first meetings with the team, I listed four categories on the blackboard. Basketball, school, work ethic, and family. The four most important parts of my new players' lives. How many of you want to be professional basketball players someday? I asked. Virtually every hand in the room went up. Well, since you've had a losing season last year, and there is no one here in this room who averaged at least ten points a game last year, it's obvious you're not a success in the basketball part of your lives, I said, erasing one quarter of the blackboard. And since I've seen your grade point averages, it's also obvious you aren't successful in school either. The room was silent as I erased another quarter of the blackboard. Then I turned to the trainer and asked him how many players had been in the gym every day since the season ended. I wanted to know how many had been working on their game. No one, coach, the trainer said. So it's obvious you don't work hard either, I said, erasing another quarter of the blackboard. Then I started raising my voice. Let's see, I said. You aren't successful in basketball. You aren't successful in school. And you don't work hard. What's left? I paused for emphasis. Well, hopefully you're a close team, I finally said. Hopefully you care about one another. Oh, we do, coach, said a player named Harold Stocks. We're a close team. Okay, Harold, how many brothers does Steve Wright have? Harold slowly shook his head. What does Billy Donovan's father do for a living? Harold now looked like a deer stuck in headlights. So you really don't know anything about each other, do you? I asked. No one spoke. I made each player stand up and talk about himself and his family. Then something wonderful happened. What had been twelve individuals suddenly had become a cohesive unit, the makings of a team. Twenty-two months later, that collection of individuals, now a team, would be in the Final Four, the greatest stage in all of college basketball. The message I tried to communicate had started the players on the road to becoming a cohesive, hard-working group of people, whose change in attitude about themselves as individuals had made all the difference. Fiery speeches and locker room dramatics can be effective and certainly have their place, but their message is essentially short-lived. True motivation must go way beyond that. 
it must make people understand the process that is required to achieve success. The most important thing I learned was that the keys to performing well on or off the court were the same for all of us, whether it's a college athlete playing at a level he never thought he could, or a salesperson striving to break records, or anyone taking more control of his life. The formula is the same. Hard work and togetherness help us soar to the next level. Success means different things to different people. For some, it's money. For some, it's power. For others, it's the respect of their peers, or it's self-satisfaction. For many, it's the desire to have better relationships with the people in their lives. Everyone wants to succeed, no question about that. We all want to be more productive and feel as if we are reaching our fullest potential. We all want to feel as though we're controlling our destiny, that we're not being controlled by it. Over the past several years, I've witnessed many rags-to-riches stories and been around so many athletes who have gone on to accomplish things that even they once thought were impossible. Yet, I've also seen promising people get swept up by victory and fall back into laziness and complacency. I have seen people face tough times and give up, shielding themselves with excuses you will never hear from people who are true lifelong winners. It is the knowledge I've gained from watching both these groups that makes me feel that I'm now ready to share what I've learned. It has been proven to me over and over that success is truly a choice, and there is a formula for a lifetime of successful behavior. That can't be stressed enough. We want to reach our dreams, but we often lack the proper direction necessary to see those dreams come true. We seem to be forever floundering without knowing why. Our good intentions wasted, all but programmed for failure. We all want to be recognized for what we do. We all want to feel we have value. The problem is that many of us don't know how to get there. Most of us, of course, don't have a coach following us around to make sure we're on track. I hope this program will be your own personal coach or tool for success. I will show you how to create discipline in your life, establish a work ethic, create a sense of self-esteem in both yourself and others, learn how to fight through the inevitable adversity we all encounter in life, and be able to accomplish things you never dreamed possible. All of these goals are attainable, but they each require action and commitment. It's up to you. We need a plan of attack. A lot of young people come in to see me after finishing four years of college. I sit them down and ask, what do you want to do with your life? Many of them give me a blank stare and then invariably say, I don't know. I don't know is the classic sign of the underachiever. They don't know because they haven't thought about it, or if they have thought about it, it's in fuzzy, unfocused terms, or else they have dreams but no idea how to achieve them. The point is there's no plan, no vision of what's necessary to get from the starting point to the finish line, no discipline. Such people have not established a motive. You must establish the direction you are heading in, and there's only one way to do that, by planning. Discipline can be many things. It can be punishment. It can be hard work. To me, it's a code of conduct, an organized plan of attack. Discipline is our plan, our road to take us where we want to go. Without a plan, we end up going in a lot of different directions, lost in some personal maze, some labyrinth that takes us around and around, wasting time and energy that distract us from our goals. Without a plan, we keep covering old territory. There's more to it than simply making the effort. The effort must be one with a purpose, a sense of direction. That purpose is your motive. By creating this discipline and combining it with organization and methods to follow, you are leveraging this motive for positive results. You have no more doubts. Why? Because you have a strategy. Because you are dedicated to fulfilling it. Because you have paid the price to be successful.
the 10 steps. Okay, you want to succeed. You're willing to do everything possible to realize your dreams. Where do you start? With the 10 steps. The steps in this program represent the plan of attack. They mark the various way stations on the road to being more successful. They constitute the process of achieving dramatically greater results, whether it's at your job or in the classroom, or whether you're trying to improve at a sport or a hobby or any activity you're involved in. It makes no difference. The techniques are the same. The 10 steps are based on the premise that any of us can achieve things we never thought possible, because most of us constantly undersell ourselves. We are conditioned to think we can't do things. We are conditioned to settle for less. We are conditioned to think that it's always going to be other people who grab life's brass ring. We are conditioned to fail. But we don't have to see our dreams recede in the distance. We can better our performance. We can reach our potential. We can change our lives. Attitude, action, persistence. These are the fundamentals we have to master in order to stretch beyond what we know. It is that self-challenge that keeps us reaching out for something better. That vision of ourselves running at peak performance all the time, constantly raising the level of our play. But we have to choose to commit to these fundamentals, or we will simply maintain the status quo. It's up to you. Step 1. Build self-esteem. Our self-esteem is the value we put on ourselves. It is the person we see when we look in the mirror. I learned a long time ago as a coach that you can expect great things from people who feel good about themselves. They can push themselves. They can set long-term goals. They have dreams that everyone expects to be fulfilled. People with high self-esteem are risk-takers, but more important, they are achievers. Conversely, people with low self-esteem are often unfocused and easily frustrated.